Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. At the age of 25, Peter Hessler and a Fred set out on a journey. Their journey was more than just a vacation. It was an opportunity to determine which direction to take their lives. Peter was at a crossroads. He had two academic degrees under his belt, but he was uncertain of his next steps. He felt as if he lacked even the most basic skills and experiences even after six years of university. He lamented that he couldn't speak a second language and had seen almost nothing of the world, so he embarked on a year abroad. His journey began with a one-way fare to Prague, then a trek eastward to Moscow, where he boarded the Trans-Siberian Railway. After six days and over 5,000 miles, Hessler finally reached his destination, Beijing, China. This was not your everyday run-of-the-mill gap year abroad. This was an adventure of self-discovery for Peter and his friend. The travel opened their eyes to a cast of characters and experiences that continued upon his arrival in China. He did not expect to stay too long, but he was impressed by the energy of a country that was undergoing dramatic change. He moved on to Southeast Asia, where he hitchhiked, slept outdoors, and even tried his luck as an actor in a film and a soap opera. The end of Peter's epic adventure abroad did not end there. Inspired by his experiences, Peter joined the Peace Corps, which enabled him to return to China. He lived there for 11 years. Peter reflected upon his trip. He said there was something transformative about that experience. It was more like a conversion than a visit. Peter, now a journalist and author living in Colorado, has written four books about that faraway destination that changed his life, China. Wow, I love that. Travel is transformational. I love that he described it as a conversion. Now, I bet you have a story or two like that, Harris. I'm relatively a newbie when it comes to travel compared to you. You, however, could have your own travel show. That would be so (laughs) awesome. And I could be your trusty sidekick. Oh my God, wouldn't that be so much fun? Let's just throw that one out to the universe, Walker. Okay, done. So it's no secret that the benefits of travel go way beyond experiencing a pretty sunset on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that there aren't some pretty remarkable sunsets out there, Harris. Oh yeah, that's an understatement. I think for most people, travel is a break from the everyday, a change of scenery. You know, it's an opportunity to shake things up a bit. So I was curious. Curious? Not you, Walker. (laughs) I was curious. So I looked into the top reasons why people travel. So what did you find out? Well, I think a lot of reasons are pretty well known. People travel to relax, get away from the stresses of life, and to spend time with family and friends. We're also in search of new cultural experiences, adventure, and even for a little mental health reset. In fact, Gen Zers are more likely to travel for these reasons than for an escape. So tell me, why do you travel so much, Harris? Is it for any of these reasons or for something different? Well, we take three different kinds of trips in our family. The first is like an escape break, like we were talking about. It's usually a short, easy trip, normally somewhere we can enjoy a bit of nature, like think a beach or a forest retreat. And then there's the family trip, right? Where you visit family. We normally go to England or Newfoundland and we try and do that as often as we can. And then probably my favorite is the Explorer holiday, which is going somewhere we've never been before. And that travel is harder, Mm -hmm. but it's really rewarding. And I have to say all of our travel has brought us really close as a family and has really broadened our collective perspective. Well, that's great. And you're not alone in that thinking. Arthur Frommer once said, at its best, travel should challenge our preconceptions and most cherished views, cause us to rethink our assumptions, shake us a bit, make us broader minded and more understanding. Now, I love to travel too and look forward to traveling more, but it wasn't in my family culture growing up. Yeah. Both my parents own their own businesses and, you know, they work seven days a week. That made it really tough for getting away. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't travel either with my family when I was young, aside from those family kind of holidays. In fact, the first time I left the country, I was 17 years old. Really? So where'd you go? Florida. Where else, Mm -hmm. right? But I have made up for lost time since. Yeah, Florida was definitely the top destination then, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think people went as far as they do now. They holidayed more locally. Yeah, I think you're right. Travel does seem to be more of a priority now, though, for more people. And it's also way less expensive and more accessible today. 
Apparently, cheaper flights was the main reason there was a 300% increase in overseas trips between 1993 and 2018. Holy smokes, that's a big jump. I know. And I think my husband and I might be partially responsible (laughs) for that. (laughs) Also, because there's so many more flights, travelers can opt for shorter trips now instead of the two-week trips, which were much more common back in the day. Australian travel writer John Borthwick noted that traveling has evolved in just over a century from a privilege for the very few to a right for many to a mass obligation. And I think that totally sums it up. But the appeal to hit the open road or skies or whatever it is, is just so strong. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And yet I can't seem to get that plane ticket in hand. Yeah, we got to work on that, Walker. Yeah, we do. It's a balance of time and budget with desire, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about priorities. Is travel so important to you that you'll sacrifice other things for it? Well, without a doubt in my mind, since that first trip at age 17, I have literally worked to travel. I think my husband would say the same. After taking care of the necessities, of course, we've always had the privilege of being able to provide for ourselves and for our children. And they've come on most of your trips, haven't they? Yeah. So what would you say is the most life-changing trip that you've taken? With or without kids? Either. Okay, so let's talk about without kids. It was definitely a backpacking trip to Brazil and get this on a $15 a day budget. And that was for two people. Wow. Oh yeah. I ate a lot of crackers, (laughs) Walker, a lot of crackers. It was a true adventure. And we backpacked from Rio de Janeiro all the way up to the Amazon. It was really tough. It was tough travel, but it was an outstanding experience. Well, doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but (laughs) each to his own. So what was so memorable about it? Well, I was young. I was in my 20s. I didn't have a lick of Portuguese, but I managed to navigate this vast country that had human and animal threats around every corner, and I survived. And not only did I survive, I thrived. So it taught me a lot about myself and what I was capable of. So even after a lifetime of travel since, is there a destination you think may offer you similar self-discovery, perhaps a deeper, more meaningful trip? Oh, I don't know. There's so many places I would love to go. One of my top dreams right now is a, a trip to Africa, particularly Botswana and Namibia. I would love to see the beauty of wildlife in their own element. I think that would fill my cup. And I wish that we could all have the benefit of that kind of experience. Perhaps it would instill more urgency to protect the life on this planet. Perhaps. So what about you, Walker? Do you have a trip in mind? Oh, good question. I'm so overdue for a change of scenery that I'm a bit beyond caring if it will be meaningful beyond (laughs) offering me, you know, that chance to relax. Right. There's so many places I've never been to, but I think at some point in my life, I'd like to go back to Greece and see all the places I never visited as an archaeology grad student. Mm -hmm. I think it'd give me the opportunity to experience again why I fell in love with ancient history many, many moons ago. And I think I'd also like at some point in my life to go to Ukraine and see where my ancestors originated. Well, those sound like really meaningful trips that I think you must plan. (laughs) And to inspire you, today we are speaking with Nikki Vargas, travel editor, author, and speaker in New York City. Nikki is a senior editor for Fodor's Travel and the founder of Unearthed Women, a travel publication with a mission to lift women's voices and show travelers how to support women worldwide. She has just released her memoir, Call You When I Land. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love the title of your book because I am the same as you. It's always the text to, you know, five different family members, partners, etc. And it is my security to actually make it to the other end. I don't know what that is, but anyhow, love the title. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So your dedication at the outset of your memoir is to all the 20-something women out there, most notably your little sister, who are in the process of finding themselves, Mm. was part of the inspiration behind sharing your story to inspire women to follow their hearts? Absolutely. I, the reason I wanted to dedicate the book to those in their twenties specifically and women in their twenties is because who you are when you enter your twenties and who you are when you exit your twenties are very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that your twenties holds such waves of evolution and transformation. Yeah. And it's really scary trying to find that footing and trying to have that evolution from a post-college grad 
to an adult, you're trying to figure out your career, you're trying to stand on your own two feet. And especially as a woman, I think that that's even scarier because you're confronted with choices about, do you want to be a mother? What does your career look like? What does marriage look like? What does it mean to be an independent woman in today's world? Mm -hmm. And uh, I really wanted this book to inspire women going through that time period and inspire them in the sense that it's never too late to change course. It's never yes. too late to course correct, really. Mm-hmm. And you can go so far down a certain road and feel like it's impossible to turn the car around and to backtrack, but it's your life and you owe it to yourself to really follow your intuition and make decisions that feel right to you. Mm-hmm. And all you when I land, so much of the early parts of the book, you find me in my 20s making decisions that don't feel right to me and that are made to make others happy and please those around me. And you see in the book what a disservice that does to me until I start to take my life back. Yeah. And it was really difficult to get to that point where you were standing by Iguazu Falls in Brazil. I think maybe you were in the Brazilian side of it. I was on the Argentinian side. Argentinian side. side. Okay. <laughs> Very close. They're like 10 minutes apart. <laughs> okay. And coming to the realization that you had to make some very difficult change in your life. So I think that's a really important message for, for everyone, but for women particularly, that you can course correct at any time. You don't have to follow those societal norms. Exactly. And the book begins with, as you mentioned, me in Iguazu National Park. And you find me a week out from this big New York wedding that's about to take place that I've really been avoiding in all the wrong ways and really just running away from. And when I'm walking alone through this jungle and I literally scream into the trees, I don't want to get married. That is where I start the book. And then I kind of rewind and build back up to that moment of sort of how I got there. And then I Mm -hmm. moved it. Um, But it was a very, very scary moment. And it felt impossible. And I have been asked a few times during the book tour, you know, where did you get the strength? And where did you get the courage? And I don't know if it was so much strength or courage as it was I had reached this point of no return where... I had exhausted all my other options of running away, of avoidance, of sort of ignoring the fact that I had made this big decision to spend my life with a person that didn't feel right to me as far as our relationship went. And it was just kind of the last frontier where let me try honesty. And that was sort of what brought me to that point. But I think going back to your question, I think that when it comes to pulling your life off the track and sort of daring to course correct that story, I think, you know, I hope inspires because there's nothing scarier than calling off a wedding a week before. Oh yeah. You had the dress and everything. The guests had made their plans. It was happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is such a public decision because you have everybody in your life that is now going to this wedding, invested in this wedding. They're all talking about it. Hotels are booked, flights are booked, deposits are paid. So it's a very public debacle. But to stand up in front of everybody, like metaphorically, and sort of be like, this doesn't feel right. I'm taking my life back uh, is scary, but it is very powerful. And liberating, I can imagine. Yes. Yes. So on this path to that moment, when you were shouting out, okay, I cannot do this anymore. And you had this deep realization that you were going no further with that wedding. Prior to that, you had an encounter with someone who, as you said, held a mirror up to your own life that triggered you to realize that you were deeply discontent with the decision to marry and that you were unhappy. Tell us a little bit about this encounter and how did this launch your life and and love and all things travel. When I was in my early 20s, and this sort of coincides very symbolically with Hurricane Sandy in New York, which was a massive, massive weather event for us here Mm -hmm. in the city, and uh, completely flooded Manhattan in in almost apocalyptic way. It was a disaster. It was terrifying. 
It really was. And very oddly enough, everything below 14th Street was blackout, underwater, submerged, and everything above 14th Street had largely been unaffected. So there was also, on top of this sort of cataclysmic weather, there was this weird disparity between uptown, downtown New York. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of explore my own emotional sort of turmoil in the context of this larger weather event. I was living uptown at the time and we had friends, my ex-fiance and I, who lived downtown and they had traveled up to uh, our apartment. And literally by traveled, I mean, there were no taxis, no trains, no buses. They had to grab their belongings and walk 40, 50 plus blocks uptown. Uh, when they came into our apartment and they saw working lights and, and and TV and everything, they were like, oh my God. An oasis. Yeah. <laughs> An oasis. So we all kind of hunkered down in our, our very small one bedroom apartment for a week or so. Wow. And within that group of people uh, was a person uh, named Jasper who is in the book and who I mentioned. And this person had been someone that I had known sort of peripherally. You know, he was uh, a friend of my ex-fiance, a coworker of my ex-fiance, someone who I just very knew on surface level labels. You know, he was an expat. He was a coworker. And um, it wasn't until that we were all sort of thrown together in this interesting event that uh, I got to know him. And one of the things I got to know was his passion for travel. And it was really eye-opening to me because at this point in time, I was about four years into a career in advertising that was not fulfilling, uh, that felt very empty and felt directionless to me. And all the dreams I had of being a writer that I had studied at, you know, journalism school for, uh, my dreams of being a travel writer, I had really tabled because it felt like pipe dreams. And I had really given myself the narrative that that's a hobby, writing is a hobby, that's not a viable career, and travel writing, forget it. Like, who do you think you are? Like, this was sort of the internal dialogue I was having. So when I met Jasper, and he was my age, also on an entry-level salary, also living in New York City, And rather than table his passion of, in his case, uh, travel photography, he was really doing everything he could to pursue it. Every Mm -hmm. vacation day he was out there, he was either traveling or investing in camera equipment. He was trying. Right. It held up such a stark mirror to my life. And not only the decisions that I had passively made, But the fact that I had so easily given up on these passions that had meant so much to me and listening to him talk about his travels and his photography and everything, it made me feel envious and also insecure about the fact that my life felt very colorless compared to his. And it sparked something in me and, and, you know, admittedly, it didn't spark the correct thing right away. You know, I I think I write in the book that like, I'd like to tell you that hurricane be damned. You know, I brushed the Doritos off my sweatpants, turned to my ex-fiance and I said, I'm sorry, this isn't working and left in the middle of the storm to live my best life. It doesn't happen like that. That happens in fiction, which is what I appreciate about your book. It's very realistic. This other situations we all come across. Exactly. Exactly. It did not happen like that. It happened instead that I projected every hope and dream onto Jasper. And I sort of got it in my head that if I am with that person, then I can be the best version of myself. And it does ultimately take me falling on my face and bottoming out to really realize that I can do this on my own. And I think that he played an instrumental role in that story for me because he ultimately showed me a version of my life that I could live and Mm -hmm. that I had neglected to pursue. And it sparked some sort of defiance within myself to really prove something to myself. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it leads to me 
booking a flight, going to Colombia, and pursuing becoming a travel writer. Yeah, which is amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Even though it was a difficult time and a very vulnerable moment for yourself, because you really kind of threw yourself out there thinking that he was the answer to the the emptiness that you had started to feel. But I'm sure you feel some gratitude towards him for for saying no. Sorry, I'm yeah. I'm I'm going this way and you're going that way. I do. I do feel a lot of gratitude for the fact that the role that he played. Because mm-hmm. you know, I would like to think that with or without him being there at that moment in time, I would have eventually course corrected and went after the career I wanted. But I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those things where any arbitrary turning along the way, who knows where you would have ended up. Yeah. So it was just very opportune that he showed up when he did. And he sort of dismantled this facade that I had put in front of myself of, I can't do that. And I can't pursue that. And I can't afford to enjoy that. And mm-hmm. he kind of challenged all of these notions that I had built up around myself as to why I wasn't doing what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And if he hadn't challenged me at that time, unwittingly so, because I don't think to this day, he's, he's probably even, aware. He's aware. I think yeah. he's somewhere in Tokyo. Today. Yeah, right. So I don't even think he's taking knows. photographs. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, he played a very large role in just kind of pushing me out of this cocoon of sort of self-doubt that I had locked myself into. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. We all at certain points in our lives need those figures to hold that mirror. Up. Yeah. So you mentioned Columbia. And one thing I love as a, a total travel addict myself is that your memoir charts your journey through your own self-development and discovery around the globe. But a large portion of your memoir does take place in Colombia. Mm-hmm. So what impact does your Colombian heritage and your time spent there, what impact has it had on your personal and professional development? Well, before I get into that, I want to say thank you for what you just said. I appreciate that uh, you see sort of how the memoir is structured and how it sort of combines like this emotional journey and also sort of charting the course through these physical locations. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, when I talk about Call You When I Land, one of the things I like to say is that it's surprising, I, I hope, <laughs> to readers, because it is a travel memoir. Yes. But it's not just a collection of travel stories. It really is a coming-of-age story mm-hmm. set in the context of travel and choosing certain trips and places that really moved my evolution along. And so Colombia was a big, big destination for me. I'm originally from Bogota. I was born in Bogota. I emigrated to the United States with my family when I was very young. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, no Colombian accent, which I do lament (laughs) often. (laughs) Right. I I had that like Sofia Vergara. Oh my gosh. I'm watching Griselda right now. Fantastic. Oh, she is, oh, did you? Oh, I did. I, I won't give any spoilers, but she's okay. phenomenal. She's unreal. And yes, her accent is divine. I Just know. Kiss. I, I, feel, I feel such a way about the fact that I do not have that like Colombian accent because so many of my relatives do. My right. dad does. My relatives look Colombian. And so I, I really grappled growing up with the fact that I'm from Colombia, I'm born in Colombia, and I do not present as what is essentially perceived to be Colombian. And it took me a long time to realize that that's not true. That when you go to Colombia, it is such a diverse fabric of people Mm -hmm. that I look as Colombian as you know, someone from an Afro-Caribbean descent in Cartagena looks Colombian. We are Mm -hmm. all Colombian and it is such a rich fabric of that society. And so it took me a while to really not be ashamed that I don't sound or look more Colombian, even though I am. Right. In the book, I returned to Colombia as an adult, which was a monumental experience because I hadn't been since I was a little girl 
And I had grown up with all of these stories of Colombia that in equal measure were beautiful and terrifying and joyful and sad and really just painted this image of Colombia for me that was very contradictory. Mm-hmm. And one of those stories is a family murder. And, you know, my great aunt was found murdered on the side of a road in the mountains of Santa Marta near Cartagena. And uh, that is a story that had haunted me since I was a little girl. So all of this intrigue and mystique around Colombia sort of stuck with me. And after that Jasper debacle and the hurricane and sort of realizing that I want to pursue my passions, I landed on Colombia and I literally landed in Colombia. (laughs) And that was my first writing assignment. I had gotten a story for Food and Wine magazine to cover the 10 best dishes in Cartagena. And I went down to Cartagena and I I loved it so much. I traveled through Colombia inhaling the culture, the food, the music, everything. And I remember it felt like it had such an eerie feeling of being there because it was like seeing somebody that you never met, but you know, intimately, it was very strange mm-hmm. yeah. to experience, like walking through the streets of Cartagena. It's like, it was like deja vu. Familiar, but completely unfamiliar at the same exactly, time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Familiar, but foreign at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, you can feel like, oh, I feel like I've tasted this before. I've heard that song before. I've been here before, mm-hmm. but you're like, scouring your brain for the memory. And it feels like almost like phantom limb syndrome. It's like, I know you're part of me, but how do I feel more connected? Just after that trip to Colombia, I came right back to New York and I claimed my dual citizenship. I got my Colombian passport. Like all of that had expired and fell by the wayside just on the altar of my parents coming here and wanting to acclimate to American culture. Mm and. Yeah, I immediately came back and was like, I'm Colombian. I'm embracing the fact that I'm Colombian and I'm legally embracing the fact that I'm Colombian. Well, it makes it official. (laughs) Yeah. And it is uh, it is such a remarkably beautiful country. I have been just the once, but I do want to return near Santa Marta, actually, is where I I stayed. And uh, wow. Yeah. So if it, if it were my heritage, I would be running, not walking to to claim it and proclaim it. Yes, I actually I haven't been, unfortunately, since before the pandemic. So I'm itching to go this year back. It's just like I I was in a good cadence of going every year to Colombia okay, or Cartagena. And then the pandemic hit. And then it's just been like it just feels like in a flash. It was like three years. And I'm like, ah. Yeah. I, I know it's th- that <laughs> pandemic. It just threw all of our journeys off track. Nikki, speaking of getting off track, travel's not always the picture perfect experiences that, that we hope for when we set out. So why do you think that it still calls us, you know, after things go south? I think that, you know, the beauty of travel is, at least for me, it is such a departure from our regular lives, which is to say it's such a departure from schedule, from predictability, from routine, from comfort zone. And you step outside of your comfort zone, you step out into the world, no matter how close or far, and you learn something every time about yourself just by breaking routine, just by being somewhere new. And I think that even if things go wrong when you're traveling, you're still having such exciting experiences that are such a departure from your normal life that it just feels invigorating. And I feel that every time. And and again, it doesn't have to be across the globe in Australia. It could be, in my case, going to upstate New York. But the point of it is that you're stepping outside of what you know, and you're giving yourself space to just experience something new. It's almost like a resetting exactly. as well, right? Or like a snake sort of shedding its skin. I know when I come back, I always come back with this really clear head. Yes. Despite what's gone on. And you may be tired, you may be physically tired, but it's almost like there's, there is this clarity. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, in our day-to-day lives, there's such a level of repetition. You know, you wake up, you make your coffee, you have your morning routine. You're like, got to be here by this time. Same meeting, same workout classes. It's such like almost on autopilot. Like you're just check, 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 check. Mm. And I think that when you're moving on such automation, there's not a lot of time to just stop and think and consider and be with yourself because you're constantly like, what's the next thing I have to do? Right. When you travel, you have that space and you have that time. So I do think that it is a reset button. And I don't think that it's accidental that when you travel, so many emotional epiphanies and truths tend to surface. And a lot of the books that we love, the Eat, Pray, Loves of the World and Wilds of the World, they're rooted in women taking themselves out of their comfort zone and allowing themselves space to confront harder truths. And I think that's a very intentional decision that in their lives, they're not finding the space or oxygen to do that. So they have to physically remove themselves to find that freedom of just time. And I, and I, I'm going to get on my soapbox here, but especially as women, I think women were so short on time. Everything is family, work, and we're just constantly, constantly juggling and trying to keep all the balls in the air. And so to find time at the end of the day, just for yourself, usually exists in the form of, I'll watch my show, or I'll listen to my podcast, or I'll just have a cup of coffee. They're like these little moments in between all the other demands. Right. And so when you travel, those little moments expand. And all the magic that happens in that expansion is life-changing. When traveling, when things do go poorly and you have these challenges that you're presented with, I'm just wondering if you think that that's a period of growth for us. There's a travel memory I have that I often sort of revert back to. I was in Argentina and and I mentioned in the book, I was solo traveling in Argentina and I had just arrived in Buenos Aires And I'm completely alone. And I remember arriving at the airport and just like the realization that there's not a single person in this country that I know that is watching out for me, that cares for me. And that is an overwhelming feeling that you're just completely untethered. And I remember I, one of the first things I did, I went to my hostel, I dropped my bags, I grabbed my camera bag. And I went to a little wine bar around the corner to have a glass of Malbec. And I sat there at the wine bar by myself. I put my camera bag on the countertop and I left the flap open and everything. And this woman taps my shoulder and she goes like, perdoname. And she's like, and I'm like, yes. (laughs) And she's just, and, and it was so sweet of her. She goes, you're new to Buenos Aires. Yeah. And I go, yes. And she goes, I can tell you're going to get all your stuff stolen. Don't do that. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, and it started this great conversation. And she gave me her phone number and she's like, if there's anything you need. And I was like, this is such a beautiful feeling of just like kindness and like generosity from strangers. There were people looking out for you. There were people looking out, but also one of the darker sides of that trip was I remember feeling so alone and so scared of that feeling of being alone. And I had gotten in the hostel, one of those rooms that such a luxury in hostels, a private room. So I didn't have a room with 30 other bunk beds. (laughs) I chose a private room within this hostel. And I remember being in that room and just being afraid of stepping out, being afraid of being on my own there and realizing that there's no one to comfort me here. There's no one to come crawl into bed and put their arms around me or tell me it's going to be okay. Like I am what I have. And that got me going. The next day it was taking myself out to breakfast, you know, even talking to myself, writing for myself. And just that realization that you are what you have, like you're on your own and you could either sink or swim in that reality And that's something that I think about and I still carry to this day. And I think that's an example of maybe it's not the glamorous side of travel. Maybe it's not the sexy part of travel that you're alone in a room in a hostel 
scared to even go outside. But the lesson there that you can either sink or swim in these moments where life feels scary is something that you can continue to carry forward. And so I do think that the more difficult parts of travel, I think, give us something that we can apply to our everyday lives. Yeah, it's golden. So uh, let's talk about Unearth Women for a second here. It's a unique and beautiful resource for women, travelers particularly, who wish to support other women worldwide. One exceptional offering are the Feminist City Guides. What can you tell us about that? So the Feminist City Guides were really, and it's funny because it's like such a revolutionary idea, but it It is so obvious Feminist City Guides were our answer to travel guides that focused on celebrating women and BIPOC-owned businesses. And so I remember we had written, uh, like as an Unearth Woman team, we wrote that rather than demean travelers with the obvious suggestions of, in Paris, go to the Eiffel Tower. Right. It was a list of places that you wouldn't normally think to go. And it was women-owned boutique stores, women-owned wine bars, BIPOC-owned, you know, feeders, whatever it was, hotels that were women-owned. We wanted to show travelers places that they could go where they could not only support women and minorities, but they could also tap into something that feels special. And I remember uh, in New York, for example, you know, one of the places that we called out was this company called Eat Off Beat. And I think it's such a cool company. It's a woman-founded company that works with refugees and they provide um, catering and food and services and they have expanded so that Angelina Jolie actually opened Atelier Jolie here in New York City. And within this cafe, Eat Off Beat has partnered with her. And I think that is such a cool collaboration. Very much so. Um, But the point is, is that you come to New York and a lot of the travel guides in New York are like, go to Times Square, go to Battery Park, go walk the High Line. And it's like, yes, 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 that's all important and that all matters. But that is just ubiquitous across all travel guides. Where are the guides telling you about these amazing cafes employing refugees serving food from their homelands? That's awesome. Well, there's so much more to New York, right? There's so much more. So. Feminist City Guides were our answer to what felt like a very big gap within travel media, which I'm happy to say has started to fill because I have seen publications, larger publications like Condé Nast Traveler, now starting to really champion women-owned businesses and women in the travel space. But Unearth Woman was all about that. It was all about lifting women's voices, unearthing women's stories, And just championing women, not only women around the world doing interesting and exciting things, but also travelers. Right. And one of the, one of the inspirations really behind it was this idea that, you know, women make up, I want to say, I think the stat is about 70% of the travel consumer base. That's high. It's high. We are a huge driver in the travel industry, we make most of travel decisions in our households. We buy most of the travel products. We are the ones that are really driving this industry. And I thought it was so interesting that for people that make up such a large base of this industry and that drive so much of the consumer decisions, you're finding that these guides that speak to women's needs as travelers weren't nuanced. You know, it was, it was often, you know, Hey ladies, what's, here's what to do if you get your period abroad and here's what to do if you're pregnant. And it was like, those were the two buckets. Yeah. The travel needs of someone who's going through menopause is very different than someone who has a baby, than someone who is pregnant, than someone who's on their period, than someone who's identifies as LGBTQIA. There are so that someone who's BIPOC. So it's like, All these nuances within the umbrella of traveling exist. And it just felt like this one size fits all approach to travel really was doing a disservice. And so that was something as well that within within Unearth Woman and within Wanderous, which was the first book that was an extension of the Unearth Woman brand and a woman's travel guide, we really tried to tackle. Well, you've certainly shown that light on it for sure. 
Now, in terms of traveling, you said that there are two questions that matter most, where you've been and where you're going. Now, your memoir answers where you've been. We all want to know where you're going. <laughs> What's next for you? Oh, wow. Well, Is there going to be another book? Yes. I mean, it's much like Call You When I Land. I think that there are two answers to that question, one that is rooted in travel and one that is an emotional coming of age. <laughs> okay. Where I'm physically going, I am going to be in Mexico in a few weeks for the Women's Travel Fest. I'll be a speaker there. And then I'll be headed to Greece for work. So that's exciting. I'll be going to Santorini. So that's physically <laughs> where I'll be going. Emotionally and coming of age, you know, I'm at that wonky stage in life where I am confronting the question of kids or no kids and what that means and where I want to go. And that's a whole new level of evolution and kind of trying to make this big lofty decision of which way will my life go from here. And I think that's very exciting and very scary. And I'm just trying to take it as intentionally as I can and, and mindfully as I can. But yeah, and as far as the third book, creatively, there is a third book in the works. It is a bit different from Call You When I Land, but still very much rooted in travel, in this case, rooted in the wilds of Norway. Ooh. And it explores the, the tumultuous, volatile, beautiful relationships between a father and his two adult daughters as they journey through the fjords. Wow. Well, I can't wait. That sounds really exciting. Thank you so much, Nikki. We encourage you to read Nikki's inspiring memoir, whether you are a traveler or not. There's so much in that book. <laughs> we will include a link in our show notes. And you can also follow Unearth Women on Instagram at, at Unearth Women and on Facebook and X as well. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad she shared her story with us and through her book. Mm -hmm. People often just consider the short-term advantages of taking a vacation like a stress break and maybe more sleep, but there are so many benefits. Yeah. In fact, a study conducted by Ernst & Young of their employees revealed that for every extra 10 hours of vacation their employees took, their performance rating went up 8%. Well, that sounds like really good evidence for more vacation time. Oh, my thoughts exactly. Right? There are real health benefits too. One nine-year study conducted by the National Institute of Health's Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute followed 12,000 men who had a high risk of developing coronary heart disease. Those men who were pretty dedicated to getting their annual vacation were 21% less likely to die of any cause and 32% less likely to die from heart disease. And on the flip side, a famous study known as the Framingham Heart Study revealed that men were 30% more likely to die from a heart attack if they didn't take a vacation for several years. And for women, do we need holidays as well? Oh, you betcha. The study revealed that women who took a vacation once every six years or less were eight times more likely to die of a heart attack or develop coronary heart disease compared to women who took a vacation twice a year. I see a new angle for travel industry advertising here. Right? <laughs> and an article in the Harvard Business Review also noted in one study that 94% of the participants had as much or more energy after coming back from a good trip. The key word being good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Poorly planned and stressful vacations eliminate the positive benefit of time away, which does make sense. Yeah, a lot of people do consider travel itself stressful, though. I was actually talking to someone the other day, and they said that they were okay with not traveling. They found getting on and off planes a real pain. Yeah, that might be true, but it's still so worth it. So you had a crazy tight connection once that was super stressful, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had a few. One of the worst, though, was traveling to Japan through mm. Newark. We literally had 10 minutes to get off our full flight and on to our flight to Tokyo because we landed late. And we had to run. Thank God the gates were closed. We had to run from gate to gate with all of our packs on our back. And somehow we made it. If we hadn't got that flight, we would have been delayed with three kids for 24 hours. Yikes. I think I would have had a heart attack. Well, I almost did have a heart attack <laughs> because I actually made that run with all of my children's packs and my own. And you don't find flying stressful as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I hate flying. And when I say I hate, I literally crush the person's hand who I'm sitting next to. I'm the lunatic who's always looking around the plane and hanging on for dear life every time there's a bump. 
I always fly direct unless I have absolutely no choice at Mm -hmm. all, less taking off and landing, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Me too, when possible. But layovers are sometimes necessary, so just, you know, give yourself a lot of time. That's that's the key. Okay, let me in on some of your travel hacks for actually making the process of travel a little easier. Well, I have only three words for you, Walker. Always go carry on. You can change planes with ease. You never have to worry about your lost luggage. And when you arrive, you're not futzing about waiting for your bags. You could just walk out of the airport and go to your destination. And of course, there's a lot less to pack when you're returning home. Okay, even, you know, like a three-week trip? For sure. As long as you have laundry facilities, you're good. Okay, Harris, we might have to go back to this at some point. Okay. But no matter how well you plan, and despite having lots of tricks up your sleeve, sometimes you just can't avoid the nuisances of travel, and it can cause stress. Right. And as we said in our conversation with Nikki, that is when you really find out what you're made of. Mm -hmm. How good are you at solving problems? How patient can you be? And, you know, how well can you keep your cool? Absolutely. You just have to roll with it. So has your problem-solving ability really been put to the test? Oh, my gosh. So many times. One time... We had this rental car that we had for six weeks because we were on an extended stay in France. The trunk wouldn't close. So it would incessantly say, le coffre est ouvert. Le coffre est ouvert. Yeah, that was the soundtrack (laughs) of the whole trip. And we were literally in the middle of nowhere when this happened. So we went to every mom and pop mechanic. We probably Uh went to other places that weren't even mechanics. But anyway, we finally landed on a technician who could help us and solve the problem. So not life-threatening, but certainly a huge pain. And a little bit more of a hassle. One time we were in the middle of New Zealand and the bank put all of our credit cards and bank cards on hold. So we had access to no money Ugh. with three little kids and there was no Wi-Fi. Like it was it was a total nightmare. So that was fun. And I think one of the most ridiculous ones was we were boarding a flight in London to go to the south of France. And I just had all the passports renewed for everybody, the kids and all. Mm-hmm. And they had made an error on my eldest's passport and it expired in 10 days. So she was like, you can't come back to the UK and you got to be really hopeful that you're going to get into France and they don't notice. Otherwise you're going to be like persona non grata. We would have had to live in the airport. Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) you made it home. So it all worked out. So I have a hilarious story for you. When I was in Athens and I was staying in a hotel, maybe on the fifth or sixth floor, it was in July. So it was so crazy hot outside Being the heat-craving Canadian I was, I put on my bikini, grabbed my book and a bottle of water, and went out on my balcony to catch some rays. Mm -hmm. I was out there probably about 30 minutes before I was desperate to go back into the AC. But as I tried to slide the balcony door open, suddenly the latch, the lock latch inside fell down. Oh, no. And I suddenly found myself locked out on the balcony. Like, literally, I was stuck. I was stranded. Oh, my God. In your bikini. Uh Uh-huh. So what'd you do? (laughs) Well, I didn't panic. And of course, uh, this was all before cell phones. I had Mm -hmm. no water left. So it was actually getting kind of dangerous. Yeah. So I tried the door a few more times before I started, you know, calling, hello, hello. Oh, no. Did you manage to get anybody's attention out there? (laughs) No. And of course, I didn't speak Greek. I was banging on my balcony door, hoping that the banging would attract someone's attention. After about 15 minutes, I knew nobody was coming to my aid. I knew the only way to solve my predicament was to start climbing over the balconies until I could find one where someone was in their room and they could let me in the hotel. Oh my God, that's like a movie. Yeah, it was. So there I was in my bikini, throwing my leg over the balcony railing. I was almost fully over and about to drop when I looked up and I saw a man staring down at me, watching me from another balcony. He might have thought you were like (laughs) bikini clad thief, Walker. (laughs) So then what happened? Well, I'm not sure how long he'd been standing there. I used my hands to try to communicate with him to call the front desk. This is hilarious. So did he do it? Yeah, but only after a good solid five minutes of staring at me. And I'm sure getting a serious good kick out of my predicament. Oh, yeah. Eventually, someone did arrive and let me back in. Okay, so that is the craziest story. So what was the lesson learned? Oh, so many lessons learned. Uh, Probably don't trust old hotel locks would be the big takeaway. And also don't panic. And maybe you should add bring a cover up (laughs) outside too, just in case you have to go balcony hopping. (laughs) So now that that little story has cheered us both up, Did you know that travel is believed to actually lower the risk of depression and lead to better mental health? Oh, yeah, that's totally not surprising. It's my key to joy, 100%. So why is that? 
Well, first of all, you really don't have a lot of time to worry or wallow. You're in a totally new environment and you're faced with never-ending challenges from the moment you open your eyes in the morning. Like, how do I feed myself? How do I get from here to there? What do I need to be careful of? And although travel can be tough and irritating and even sometimes downright awful, the memories are really the best part. And also, not to mention all the beautiful, picturesque, exceptional places this world has to offer. It's, it's astonishing. I truly agree with you there, Harris. But really, it's all about the people, your traveling companions, most definitely, but also your guides, the local barista, the man who brings you fresh seafood on the beach. These are the relationships, however long-lasting or fleeting, that really are the magic. Yeah, I've met a few gems along the way as well. Yeah, me too. And I can tell you one thing, Walker. Travel has led me to appreciate life like nothing else. So how is that? Well, of course, there's the appreciation for the diversity that this gorgeous planet offers, but it's, it's more than that. So what is it? I think it's the understanding that people are people. We may live differently, have different beliefs, have more or less abundance, but we all love and hate and exist in very similar ways. Arthur Frommer said that travel has taught him something very similar, actually. He said that the world's people are essentially alike. We all have the same urges and concern. We all yearn for the same goals. Yeah, well, he said it better than I did. Well, more importantly, he says that we're all responsible for one another. Absolutely. In his words, travel makes it impossible to pay no heed to the suffering of others simply because they are far away. It erases distance and makes you a more sensitive citizen of the world, yearning for peace everywhere. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. Travel should actually be a mandatory part of the curriculum available to all. It has a huge impact. Well, he certainly believes so. He believes that we grow in positive ways when we encounter our opposites out in the world. And that in his words, travel exposes you to ideas, lifestyles, theologies, and philosophies that change your most cherished beliefs. Mm -hmm. Travel offers the opportunity to self-reflect and gain perspective like nothing else. Yes, and it makes you aware that more than a single answer exists for human problems. Bingo. What a smart guy. Clearly he gets it. So travel can be life-changing on an individual level, bringing the important things into focus like it did for our guest Nikki. But it also has the power to educate, perhaps like no other tool we have. A lot to think about, Harris. Yeah, well, let's just get planning our next adventure, Walker. As someone lost to the mists of time once said, we travel not to escape life, but for life not to escape us. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us to grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can find us on Instagram at, at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.homeandabroadpodcast.com. We do have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel. Not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending on where you buy your coffee. 